tell you, that's the one I'd have picked for you myself. How much? Go ahead, spin it around. Oh, no, no, no. No, it looks fine. How much will it be with my car? You mean you don't want the usual day and a half to think it over? Nope. You are in a hurry. Somebody chasing you? Of course not. Please. First time I ever saw the customer high-pressure the salesman. I want you to give yourself up. So I can live a long and fruitful life? Oh, we can work something out. Fuck you. Frank, don't fucking lie to me. I have a rendezvous with death. Oh, and so does the president. And so do you, Frank, if you get too close to me. You have a rendezvous with my ass, motherfucker! Gloves are off, Matt. It's all potty mouth all the time. <laughs> I'm glad we got that. We ripped that bandaid right off, right in the beginning. Matt's. Chris Kowser here with Matt Howell. And this week on the first run, we catch up with the latest from A24 post postmodern murder satire bodies, bodies, bodies. Then we'll give you what we promised last week with the latest oversaturated action cameo fest, Bullet Train. Then we'll crest the top of the bell curve with our third entry in our Malik Marathon, The New World. We'll run down the physical media releases and give you our straight-to-DVD and streaming picks of the week. Then we'll wrap up this supersized episode and give you our favorite Brad Pitt performances. I can tell you are stoked. Let's get this party started, though, with a little taste of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I'm going to rain on your little parade, Pete Davidson style, and I just want to... Give two points of clarification. Mm. One, so Anne Heche, that's a clip from the Psycho remake that Gus Van Zandt did, which I think is criminally underrated. Mm-hmm. I really like what he tried to do with that film. It's basically an art experiment, right? It's basically a shot-by-shot remake of Psycho. What are your thoughts on that version of the film? You know, I haven't seen it since it first came out. I should re- revisit it. At the time, I thought it was pointless, uh, but uh, maybe I can appreciate it more now. And then, too, just nobody gets concerned. John Malkovich nor Clint Eastwood have died. Uh, that was more in honor of Wolfgang Peterson, mm. the uh, director of In the Line of Fire, who gotcha. passed away. So I just, everybody, calm your T's and your P's. All right, we don't want uh, anybody to get too upset. All right, let's get Matt his body's 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 clip, shall we? But he's, like, not hot. You know what I mean? He's, like, like your mom would be like, oh, he's hot. Not your mom. I mean moms in general. Moms that have been married for like 10, 15 years and they see like him going out of a Starbucks. Alice got to bring someone without telling anyone. So you do read the chat. Why is everyone so obsessed with the chat? Like you're here, I'm here, we're here together, right? Why are we worrying about the chat when we could just live in the moment? Yeah, it's because you went to rehab and you're not on drugs. So like everything's like, ooh, why don't we just all be cool, man? You have a little problem with Greg? Lumberjack. It's a new pod. I'm not used to the <coughs> inhaling yet. What is he, like 40? I don't know. I think Alice found him on Tinder or some shit. He, apparently he was in Afghanistan. I think he was in the army or some shit. So. Well, that's hot. He's not, he's not like that hot. You don't have to think he's attractive. Only Alice has to think that he's attractive. Like, I feel like I'm more attractive than that. You do? Absolutely. What are the features that you're bringing to Well, the I case? just look like I fuck. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I look like I, I fuck. And that's the vibe I like to put out there. 
Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, he's he's really handsome. Whatever. I feel like it's. I can't remember how many conversations I've had with you that went like just like that. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. But it's always funny that it's we flip back and forth. You know who's who's Pete Davidson and who's not. <laughs> yes. So Matt, bodies, bodies, bodies. Directed by Helena Regine. Uh, written by Sarah Delape, the latest from A24. Uh, what What is it all about? Sophie and B, a new couple, have decided to go visit Sophie's longtime best friend, David, at his house for a hurricane party. They're going to meet up with some old friends. They're going to hang out, have fun. It comes to find out that these kind of uh, very wealthy uh, young people, they get started getting kind of bored during the hurricane party, and they decide that they're going to play a game of bodies, 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 or it kind of spin on murder in the dark where someone kills somebody, um, and you try and figure out who did it. Only problem is somebody actually gets killed, and it's a real body, and mayhem ensues. Oh, damn. So, Matt, let me ask you. Bodies, bodies, bodies. I'm going into this thinking, thinking I'm going to get some really, you know, it's a 24. So I know people hate this term. Some kind of elevated horror slasher film, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what is a horror film, Matt? Not a horror film. Now I know we we got to walk the line here. Mm-hmm. All right, because yeah. I don't want to reveal too much. Yeah. Though I will want to dance around the ending of this film. Okay. Uh, what are your thoughts on bodies, bodies, bodies? Is it the thrilling? Gen Z social commentary film of the year, yeah. nay the decade, <laughs> or uh, is it a um, I don't know, a kind of a, a foul tip attempt at a black comedy? Mm. Well, or a good black comedy for all I know. Who knows? Who yeah, it, it, you know what? I think it has pieces of all of those things, but I think uh, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Um, mm-hmm. It's an entertaining little film i would hesitate to even call this a horror film it's not i was expecting some kind of slasher homage and kind of uh, an updating of the kind of scream meta rules kind of thing and that's not what we really got this is more of a whodunit kind of thing where it's uh, a paranoia finger pointing a bunch of among a bunch of spoiled kids who secretly or not so secretly hate each other i guess it's yeah it is like it's like a black satire whodunit where you basically hate everyone that you're watching and you can kind of gleefully watch them get dispatched one by one just because you don't like any of them fair so hmm yeah i i was i gotta tell you when i first watched the trailer for this film and i usually try and avoid trailers as much as i possibly can but with this one some of the dialogue matt seemed very over the top, mm-hmm. like somebody trying to out Diablo Cody, Diablo Cody, sure, right? Sure. And I'm thinking, oh, are we going to kind of have some heavy handed, deep, you know, message film about Gen Z social concerns and paranoia type stuff? What about, you know, everybody being so obsessed with, uh, I don't know, pro- create, providing or sharing the proper image while they have deep kind of problems underneath mm-hmm. and it was going to be very ham fisted. And I happy to say it wasn't. Right. All the clips in the trailer that I was so concerned about actually played out rather naturally, I think, through the film and didn't feel as forced as they did in the trailer. What did you think about that? Yeah, I think did that, you get that kind of vibe too. Yeah, or? I think that's fair. I mean, I think um, there is some kind of. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about when they're talking about gaslighting and, and safe spaces and so toxic, so toxic stuff like that. You know, I was, you know, I, I went into this expecting that, but it. it 
it is a little bit of a kind of like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink joke kind of thing, but it wasn't like mm-hmm. obnoxious about it. No, no, I, I, I agree with you. It's, I think it's, I think the cast here is all top shelf. What I think some, and this may sound weird, Matt, some subtly oversized performances, mm-hmm. right? Nothing. It never felt too over the top for me, but everything kind of felt a little, I don't know, elevated, a little escalated, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel though it is also appropriately dark when it's needed while providing, I think, some nice kind of smart comedy into it too. I think it's a rock solid black comedy in the end mm-hmm. is what I think it is. Yeah. And I think maybe the ending may turn off some people. Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it. I thought the mystery and the paranoia for the preceding 80 minutes of the film kind of all came into sharp focus for me as the relationships between all of our cast members kind of so quickly become undone as the film plays out, right? And everything's revealed to be how raw and how everybody is and all the lies that they kind of been telling each other mm-hmm. or, you know, between each other and being so catty and behind each other's backs. And I think, you know, we really get kind of these biting revelations about how shallow these people really are Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i think while dealing with societal and social anxieties that kids this age and this generation have to deal with in a world that i think that they feel and i do as a gen xer as well is spinning out of control faster and faster like every day right you know and i think that the mystery though i think that maintains the mystery really well Providing just enough information about each character where it kind of keeps us guessing. I never really felt I had a handle on who the killer, air quotes, was throughout the film. And I think it does a really good job of keeping you baited and interested as the whole thing plays out. With that final reveal, as I said, that may turn off some. So what are your thoughts about that? And then I wanted to talk about the ending as general as possible. Yeah. I agree. I can see where the ending would turn some people off, I think. But I think it, it fits with the film that we got. Like if you like yeah. if this was like truly like set up like a like a slasher film, um I would feel a little cheated, but it's that's not that type of film. Like you said, it's really more of a black comedy and I think honestly it's a good note to end on. I think it's a kind of a a blackly darkly humorous uh kind of note to end on and I think it uh, I think it works. No, I agree. I, I I can't think of a film too. Now I've kind of been avoiding Davidson's performances. Mm-hmm. I have been less than impressed with him, mm-hmm. but kind of like I felt with Personal Shopper with uh, Kristen Stewart, that I think really was the first film to really capture her talents and exploit her, or it kind of illustrate you know how talented an actress she is. Yeah. That I feel that that's the same here with Davidson. Okay. I can't think of a better way to exhibit who Pete Davidson is as a person mm-hmm. than his character in this film. Right. And I really feel like this whole thing for him is like an epitaph for him. Like this is like the man's tombstone when he's like 98 <laughs> years old and he finally kicks from his 32nd STD sure. um, that he, uh, people would go like, you know, quintessential Pete Davidson bodies, bodies, mm-hmm. bodies. That fits. I can see that. And I respect him, too, that he likes the older ladies. Yeah. He's not like those creepers like Dane Cook. Did you see about that with Dane Cook? A little I heard aside? some. I heard some rumblings of it, but I didn't dig in, care enough about Dane Cook to really d- dig into it. <laughs> the headline, like, Dane Cook um, gets engaged to long-term, long-time girlfriend. Yeah, okay. And let me guess, she just turned she, 18 and he'd been dating her for, like, four years or something. Well, no, she's 
they've been dating for like six years okay. or something like that and she turned 23 oh okay she, <laughs> nice nice very good i think they met when she was 17 nice all right and you know so pete davidson he's he's you know rumored to be hooking up with uh with uh martha stewart so there you go I see. <laughs> <laughs> good for him yeah. good for him so i i don't know if davidson's crossed the tatum line for me mm, yet no but he he Mm-mm. inched a little closer for me in this film but he has not crossed yeah i think uh i think one performance does not a tatum line make i think uh i think we're not quite there yet no i I don't think so as well so uh uh any final thoughts on the uh bodies 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 extravagance i listen i really think the cast in this was very did very well Mm -hmm. i was really impressed with basically everybody in this i'm like what is that is that maria bekalova Mm -hmm. is that really her and i'm like yeah no it totally is No, yeah, universal applause from me for the performances for these people. I think all the kids in this are really good, and I really enjoyed this. I ended up giving it a B plus, Matt. Where'd you fall down? Yeah, I gave it a B. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was good. I think if you go into this, if you just kind of abandon your ideas that this is going to be a horror movie, just ignore the description that this is a horror movie, then I think you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. It's really just a kind of a pitch dark black comedy. What's up with now? I'm I think I'm too old at this point. There's a big movement online about Lee Pace in this film. He's like a little cultural phenomenon right now. Okay. And I have no idea who he was prior to this. Are you on in the Lee Pace camp? Like, he's awesome and stuff? Well, Lee Pace was... Isn't he Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy? And he's also he the king... The king uh, elf in the Hobbit trilogy. Um, yep, that's true. I Those are the two things I think of when I think of, of Lee Pace. I think it's because he, I think he was also what Halt and Catch Fire he was in. And I think he may have, I don't, I don't know. But just that there seems to be a big groundswell on the uh, interwebs about Lee Pace. Like, I think it's, is it Yaki? She has like a whole t-shirt about like Lee Pace is 6'3 or something like mm. that. That's what the shirt is. Okay. I, I mean, I, but the uh, people enjoy, enjoy him. So. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's just one of these things where he's a, a character actor that's, you know, probably more handsome than your normal character actor and he's just making good kind of thing and it seems like you know he's in the kind of roles that people like yeah he's he's captured the cultural uh, zeitgeist mm-hmm. at the moment so good for him if you had a chance to see bodies 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 currently playing in the theater near you shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com now I had seen Matt bullet train mm-hmm. in a timely manner <laughs> you were uh, incapacitated correct and we're unable to get to the theater to go see right. it. I know you had talked about possibly like downloading like a cam version of it off the internet, but I think eventually you decided that would not be the best way to watch sure. Bullet Train. That's right. That's true. I went and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to spend a few minutes and uh, talk about uh, that one next. I know who killed the kid. I couldn't give a rat's off. Oh, I would love a bottle of water. That's the one. Thank you. Mm. Sure you want to talk this out? Not particularly, no. Okay. Oh, sounds like more hilarious fighting, Matt. <laughs> so now we have the bullet train. I'm going to ask again. 
because uh, you were all excited to watch this from the director of Deadpool Part Dwa. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is Bullet Train all about? Um, Brad Pitt mm. is a mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. Um, who needs a new job. Um, smash and grab man. He's a smash and grab man. Okay, we'll go with that. He's taken over for somebody else, and he's supposed to. It's his first job back after a little time away, and he's given a what he thinks is an easy task to get onto the bullet train in Tokyo, Japan, and get a briefcase. Well, it turns out. That this briefcase has a lot of other people running it for it because it is filled with something very, very valuable. And, uh, yeah, it's basically they, uh, a lot of fighting and a lot of killing as uh, a bunch of uh, various levels of criminal try and uh, get their own master plans for this case to unfurl. Good times. It sounds like a lot of fun, man. And uh, I thought, I was looking at this, I'm like, oh, this looks might, might be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brad Pitt usually is up. He's usually game for a lot of these projects. I love Aaron Taylor Johnson. He's quickly becoming one of my favorite character actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I always seem to enjoy him whenever he pops up. Brian Tyree Henry, good stuff. Joey King, right? I mean, uh, and then some surprise guests along the way, yeah. which I will not spoil for you. Yeah. And I'm watching this thing, man. All it does is remind me of the Halcyon days of Coke Field filmmaking. <laughs> Of like the uh, 80s and early 90s. Mm-hmm. All style. Mm-hmm. No substance. Yeah. I think Joel Silver would be been very proud to be a part of this production. Maybe Jerry Bruckheimer and uh, mm-hmm. Don Simpson too. But for me, um, we'll get into it. But Bullet Train, I think, was... I can't even say it was a grand disappointment. I don't know if I was super... Excited. Had super high expectations sure. for this. Or super excited for it to begin mm-hmm. with. I think you were a little more, as the kids say, juice for it. So, um, what were your thoughts? Am I wrong on Bullet Train? Did I just not get it, man? No, there's not much to get. I mean, um, you know, for the premise of what it kind of presents itself as, like, you think this is going to be kind of one of your wacky, violent uh, crime caper things. And it tries. It tries valiantly to do that. But I don't know what it is. It just never really... It really never catches my interest. It never really elevates itself. It just it just seems kind of stodgy and boring, and even kind of like the flashback stuff to kind of tell you about like who these people are on the train. It just all seemed very uninspired. Um, I think it picks up, you know, pretty well towards the last, like the third act. I think that has some fun action sequences in it. When we get our, so. our, I mean, our last cameo, I mean, it's gory, you know, you got people flying off the bullet train, getting run over and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, it's I compared to the rest of the film. It's not, it's a lot better than the rest of it because what came before, um, I mean, but it's not great by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think I think I may have enjoyed the first two thirds more than I did the final. Oh, third, really? Actually, I'm in the exact opposite camp with you on this. I think that it relies, I think, a little too much on coincidence. Though I guess that's the whole point. Yeah. The way it's kind of like everything is set up by a mastermind to get all these people on this train on purpose. Yeah. But there are still some coincidences. Coincidences is it coincidence? <laughs> In way things kind of do need to happen in a certain order right. or a certain way right. for things to f- to flow as properly for the master plan that I just don't know if it's quite I quite bought into it all. I think Pitt here is at the top of his game. I think he makes his film at least watchable. 
Uh, I think the action scenes as well keep the bullet train moving, if you will. I think without them, it would have imploded under its own weight, mm-hmm. under the weight of its own smirk. Mm-hmm. I think would have, uh, if I may, driven this train off the rails. Wow, it's a great dad joke. A plus. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I mean, it does, I think, waste the talents of all of its actors. And once the last cameo shows up with a certain actress, uh, my eye rolls were, it was rolling so hard. I, I was, I was concerned for myself. I like medically dangerous strains mm-hmm. of eye rolls by the time she pulls up in that car. Yeah. And then for the, um, truck filled with tangerines to come and finally dispatch one of our villains too at that point i'm like thank god this thing is over it's a great cast i think with a that are just that are just squandered matt on a script that just knows in its bones that it is possibly the greatest thing ever written it knows it right and it's well, at least the film certainly thinks it is i think that's part of it i this is we go back to this thing where I feel like, you know, you and I are in our dorm room in college, though we did, we went to separate schools right. and I am much older than you and we're both high on something and just kind of plotting out a movie. I'm like, oh, could we get to do this? Oh, you know, it'd be good for that. Let's do that. Yeah. And that's basically how this whole film plays out. Disaster Piece shows up, does the score for this mm-hmm. from our, our boy from It Follows. Yeah. It's fine. But in the end, Matt, if I wanted to watch a Guy Ritchie film, I'll watch a Guy Ritchie film. And uh, I'll put it this way. Imagine this movie with Jason Statham and not Brad Pitt. Mm. And I think that's exactly what you think of with this film. It's a Guy Ritchie film by somebody who's, I can't believe I'm about to say this, not as talented a director as Guy Ritchie. <laughs> in in the Guy Ritchie genre, right? I think Guy Ritchie, when he has to do like your, your King Arthur movies, yeah. your Robin Hood movies... Mm. He just is lost. Right. But when he does his gentleman or his even his Wrath of Man type stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that's when he's he's nailing it. But this though, no thank you. No bueno. Yeah, it's no bueno. it's uh unfortunately it's really overstuffed and I think Chris is on point where he says uh it really is seems to be self-satisfied with itself. Um, like it's giving itself a, you know, you did a really good job. Good job pulling all these people together. This is, this is great. And fortunately it's not. I mean, unfortunately you just can't put a bunch of, you know, people who are good at what they do and uh, hope it all just works out in the end. Cause it just doesn't. Yeah, no, no. I feel like in, when I'm like 75, I'll put this on. Or maybe in my, like, 85. I don't have my teeth anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just, like, eating applesauce sure. and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is good. I like this uh, butter treat. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's it's forgettable. Poor Zazie Beats, man. She shows up for, like, 10 minutes yeah. and is just nothing. And then our boy, our boy, I'm going to say, our boy Tatum mm-hmm. pops up. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, that's just a taste of some of the actors that are going to show up in this film. Yeah. And it's... uh. Just point, Matt. C minus. Bullet train. C minus. Yeah, that's what I gave it as well. We're right on the same page for once, Chris. <laughs> At least I got to see it in Dolby. Yeah. God, thank God for that AMC A list, man. If I had spent like 18, 19 bucks to watch this in Dolby, I probably would have been. You know what? I, I hazard myself. to say that if we didn't have A list, I think we'd probably have 
move down to like one movie, you know, a week for sure. <laughs> if we, if we couldn't stream something, you know, I'd go back to the nightmare days of going on cheapy night. Yeah, oh right. Tuesday nights, five dollars, yep. and you're surrounded by the the refuse, the common people. <laughs> Bringing their infants to a ten-year-old to a ten p.m. screening mm-hmm. of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right. you know that kind of thing, sure. where it's just well, at least they're infants. The you know, it's even better when they're like you know five, six years old. They're bringing them to that stuff. I guess it's just it's the it's the screaming I can't handle. Mm. Uh enough um, complaining, Matt. Let's talk about some fun things. I broke my rule. Remember, I said I wasn't going to bring any uh, alcohol into the house. Any new beer? Okay. Yeah, Sam Adams put out like a summer variety pack of all tropical, different tropical flavored beers. Okay, and you just couldn't help and yourself. No, nah, I had to try it. I hadn't had out of the four that are in there. I hadn't had three of them. Mm. How do I not try that? Yeah, have you tried them all yet? No, just um, I had this the the summer one, not the summer one. The sh- I don't know whatever it is. It's it's good. I'm having the Beach Session IPA, which is crisp and tropical. Oh, okay. And uh, I am enjoying it. And we are, I think, days away, if we're not there already, from the Shipyard Pumpkinheads, which I was going to get anyway. Yeah, you know, Halloween candy. It's all out up here. It's it's coming. No, good times. Thank God. Speaking of Halloween, Matt, before we jump into physical media, I just want to mention that there is a new book by Garth Marenghi. And who was that coming out? Who was... A Tome of Terror, I think it is. Okay. What did you say? Who is who is that? What? Yeah, I'm drawn. I don't know who that is. Who is that? Oh my god! You son of a bitch! You really you you don't know who Garth Marenghi is? No. Here's what I need you to do. Okay. I am not. I'm being very serious right now. All right. I've I've cut you in a lot of slack. A lot of slack <laughs> for not watching um, one cut of the day. Sure. I haven't even brought it up right. probably in, what, nine months? True. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. On Amazon Prime, Yeah, there is a show. Mm-hmm. It's only it's not going to take a lot out of you. It's six episodes, like 24 minutes each, called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Okay. I need you to watch at least one episode okay. by the next time we record. Okay. I need you to promise me that. I promise you that I will watch it. I, it's, it's one of the few shows in my lifetime mm-hmm. where the first time I watched it, mm-hmm. I cried from laughing. Okay. That's how good I think it is. Now, I know I'm, I'm, I'm being very dangerous here by escalating it to that level. Sure, right. Out of the gate. Yeah. But I'm confident that you will at least enjoy okay. it. I, I love that show so much. You can't buy it here okay. domestically. You can't. So I um I found it online. Wink wink nudge nudge say no more. And it's now on Amazon. It's been on Amazon for about 6 months. Okay. And I've watched it all the way through I think two or three times already. Wow. All six episodes. Wow. It is brilliant. It is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. And it makes me laugh. Every time I watch, it's like like an Anchorman thing, sure. right? Where it still gets, it's still funnier, and even though you've seen it a dozen times, yeah. and sometimes you find new things. Like Dark Place is hilarious. So Holm, Holm, God damn it, what's his name? Ah, oh, see, now I'm really upset with myself because I'm blanking on the guy's name. I'm telling you, man, the COVID thing is real. I've I have the fog so much, such a hard problem. Yeah, remembering a lot of Matthew Holness. Thank you. Okay. 
he is like one of the main guys. And Richard Iote is one of the creative forces behind that too. You know who he is, mm. right? So anyway, they brought back the character for this book, but they're also doing a uh, audiobook version, okay. which is clearly the thing I'm going to buy. Sure. Just to have him redo the character. Uh, all right, at least watch that first episode. I'm begging okay. you to watch that first episode. Okay. All right. I think I've wasted enough time. Physical media, <laughs> upcoming Tuesday, August 23rd. This isn't a new movie, uh, but it's the Blu-ray debut of a classic show from my youth. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will tune it to a whisper. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can roll the image, make it flutter. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your television set. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. That's right. The Outer Limits is getting its Blu-ray release. Uh, I may be picking this up. No, because Twilight Zone is like everywhere. Yeah. you can watch that like on Netflix and I think on Peacock or Paramount, Paramount Plus, right? Yes. Yeah. Is uh, uh, I don't know if the Outer Limits is. Is this the? No, this is the original Outer Limits. It's not the. Re- yeah. It's not the '90s, late '80s remake of the Outer Limits. Oh no, this is the original. This is 1963. Okay. This is the first season. Gotcha. It's on Blu-ray. Okay. So it was influenced originally by, initially by the Twilight Zone, the success of the Twilight Zone. Mm. But unlike the Twilight Zone, Outer Limits, I think, had a more sci-fi bent yeah, it to it than than Twilight Zone did. Right. So did you ever watch, it sounds like you did. You were an Outer Limits fan as a yeah, kid? Yeah, I watched it. I caught, it. I caught the old Twilight Zones. I caught the Outer Limits. I caught the remakes of, of both of those shows. Mm-hmm. I didn't see the Jordan Peele one. Did you see the Jordan Peele? I have not because okay. I I was not a member of the Paramount Plus gotcha. or CBS All Access, whatever it was gotcha. called at the time. Gotcha. Now I would like to check them out, yeah. but no. So, but you can pick up the Outer Limits on Blu-ray this upcoming Tuesday, August twenty-third. Uh, Decal is releasing is putting out Mister Malcolm's List about a young woman who courts a mysterious wealthy suitor in nineteenth-century England. I heard it's pretty good. Uh, RLJ Entertainment is putting out Murder at Yellowstone City, featuring Gabriel Byrne, Thomas Jane, and Richard Dreyfus. DC, uh, Warner Brothers, I guess, is putting out Naomi, the complete series. is all 13 one-hour episodes that I think just streamed on HBO Max. Uh, is getting a Blu-ray release. Criterion, now shifting the new to blue. Criterion's putting out Buck and the Preacher. This is a Sidney Poitier-helmed film. He wrote, excuse me, he directed and starred in it, along with Harry Belafonte and Ruby D. It's an action-packed western about a scout and a con man who team up to protect the Exodisters, which are ex-slaves who traveled across the West after the Civil War. Gets a brand new 4K restoration. By the way, Matt, did you see uh, what Criterion announced for uh, November? I didn't. Enlighten me. So, yeah. So, I'm uh, one of them is a UHD release of Power of the Dog. Okay. Which I will be picking up. 
Um, also, uh, In the Mood for Love, Wong Kar Wai's film is getting a UHD release. Uh, Malcolm X as well. And then uh, Daisies is coming out. But another one, too, I'm really excited about, just Blu-ray, though, is the entire trilogy of uh, Infernal Affairs, mm. which is the film that inspired The Departed. Gotcha. It was the first one. Um, but all three films are excellent. October, too, is really good. You have La Llorona, which is um, not that horrible Conjuring Universe film. This, is, I think, is, is it a Columbia fi- uh, Colombian film that's much better. Uh, also, a classic, I think it's Japanese horror film, Cure, which I've never seen, but I've heard great things about. I want to grab that. Eve's Bayou is getting put out as well. And um, Arsenic and Old Lace and Lost Highway, I believe, are UHD releases, as is Night of the Living Dead. Mm, wow. So um, October's a big month as well. So uh, lots of good Criterion stuff coming up. What else? Uh, Criterion's putting out Hotel de Nord. Uh, at the family-run Hotel de Nord, a young couple check in, planning to commit a double suicide. Pierre shoots his lover, Renee, but then panics and flees, leaving the gun behind. Renee survives her wound after being found by Pimp Edmund. Why, this sounds really cheerful. After taking a job at the hotel as a chambermaid, Renee slowly becomes involved in the shifting allegiances and relationships between the people who live and work at the hotel. Universal's putting out a bunch of stuff, Matt. Uh, some old catalog things from 1949, the Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court, the Bing Crosby film. Mm-hmm. Claudette Colbert and Thunder on the Hill from 1951. Bing Crosby returns with Kitty Carlisle and Roland Young in Here Is My Heart from 1934. Bing shows up again in Welcome Stranger from 47. Deanna Durbin is in 100 Men and a Girl. Wow, that sounds... Uh... <laughs> it's 1937, though, so don't panic, yeah, everybody. Right. And uh, a couple more Deanna Durbin films, three, excuse me, Three Smart Girls Grow Up from 1939, and then It Started With Eve from 1941, also featuring Charles Lawton. The Criminal Life of Archibaldo de la Cruz from 1955, this is a Louis Bonal film, is coming out. Uh, what else? Scorpion is putting out a couple Chuck Norris films, Matt. Uh, Lone Wolf McCade, which he did with David Carradine, is getting its blue release. Get a brand new 2K restoration of that with a new audio commentary. Scorpion's also putting out Delta Force uh, on Blu-ray. And then Death Wish 3. This is uh, Charles Bronson's return to the role of Paul Kersey. And then uh, Death Warrant. This is the uh, Van Damme film. Mm-hmm. is getting its Blu-ray release as well from Scorpion. We're talking about Kino putting out The Outer Limits. They're also putting out When Tomorrow Comes from 1939. Love Camp 7 from Blue Underground. Well, that sounds delightful. What's that about? Let's see, Matt. Two young whack officers go undercover as POWs in the prison camp hoping to get some information from a scientist that's being held there before being sprung up by the French resistance. Unfortunately, things go wrong when they break out and they end up overstaying their welcome and being subjected to the same indignities as their inmates. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's a brand new 4K restoration of a Nazi exploitation film. Oh, great. So, uh, <laughs> good times. Cult Epics also is putting out Naked Over the Fence with a brand new 4K restoration on that one. The uh, film detectives are putting out the Tarzan Vault Collection. These are some old Tarzan movies, Matt. Tarzan of the Apes, Adventures of Tarzan, The New Adventures of Tarzan, all newly remastered. New commentary tracks for some of them. Uh, Fatally Thankermentary and more. Suburban Sasquatch. Suburban Sasquatch, Matt. That one's for you. Yeah, when a giant bloodthirsty anthropoid goes on killing... In a sprawling suburban park area, it's up to a couple of rangers, a reporter, and a mystical Native American warrior to try and stop it. UHD releases. Kino's putting out the 
really fantastic Stanley Kubrick film, uh, Pass of Glory, featuring accused rapist um, Kirk Douglas. Brand new 4K restoration on that one. Uh, Scream Factory is putting out Dog Soldiers, Neil Marshall's werewolf film, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would be shocked to see how good a transfer this is because that transfer on the Scream Factory Blu-ray is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the previous iterations are just atrocious. So who knows? This was restored by Second Sight. So I guess this is the import of Second Sight set. Or at least the U.S. version of it. Includes an audio commentary and a Blu-ray as well, featuring the 4K restoration. Some new interviews, including one with Neil Marshall himself. And the uh, archival documentary, excuse me, audio commentary from Neil Marshall and more. Uh, also, Matt, ooh, UHD of Dirty Dancing. Oh, boy. Previously restored in 4K. Dolby Vision HDR presentation and a Dolby Atmos track. And a bunch of archival features, including outtakes deleted and alternate extended scenes, interviews with Swayze, and more. Matt, you're straight to DVD pick of the week. Okay. Amityville. Because Amityville shows up everywhere, right? First, we have Amityville, the original film, mm, which is not good. Not good at all. In fact, worse. I don't think any of them are. Yeah, they're all bad. And then we start going to actual inanimate objects mm-hmm. from the house. Mm-hmm. Now, Amityville in the hood. Oh, my god! An Eastside gang uses the Amityville property to grow marijuana when they are attacked by a rival gang and their drugs are stolen. Soon, it's unleashed on the west side streets of Compton, where anyone who smokes it suffers one, wait for it, killer buzz. Oh, my God. That sounds... That's just that's that, that just deserves to be burned and and left for dead, just gone. We don't need it. Oh God! I'm telling you, if we ever monetize this thing and we do paywall stuff, we should start watching these uh, oh. straight to DVD picks. Yeah, we would have to do some get paid for that because I I remember our our, our straight to DVD marathon and it was <laughs> it was not good. No, it was not. <laughs> what should we be streaming? Clean our palate, man. Well, I don't know if I'll clean our palate, but. Uh, you know, the, the kind of talk of the day right now is the new Jamie Vox vampire film, Day Shift. Um, but I watched another Netflix mm-hmm. vampire film called Night Teeth. Um, it's about a... Night Teeth? Yeah, yeah. So it's about uh, a guy. His brother does him a solid and sends him on his uh, in, in his stead to go uh, chauffeur some, some women around uh, town, the Los Angeles. And uh, turns out they're vampires. And they are on a quest to kill rival vampire gangs. It's not great, but it's it's okay. Um, and I kind of wanted to throw in something in there that isn't the kind of classics that I try and dig out for you guys. You know, as far as kind of a straight to Netflix feature goes, it's it's okay. And you know, I think it may be a fun double feature with Day Shift, which I haven't seen yet. Sounds good. And don't forget on Amazon Prime right now, mm-hmm. Garth Marenghi's Dark. Place, I, you know which what? I watch at least one episode. You know. F- for our friendship and this, the love of the show, when we're done, I will watch an episode before I go to bed tonight. I appreciate that. You're a good man. All right. Well, let's get going then. We're going to cut the show a little short then. I guess quickly. No, we're going to cut it short. We're going to get through as quickly as we can, unlike Terrence Malick, <laughs> who likes to make really long films sometimes. But uh, let's spend a few minutes and talk about the new world. You knew I had promised, didn't you? Yes. Did you find your Indies, John? 
sail past them. Wow. He may have sailed past them. <clears throat> you know what he's really saying there, right, mm-hmm. Matt? Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to make sure you, you caught on what he was actually hinting at there when he said that. Terrence Malick returns after the thin blue line. The next film is over, uh, The New World. The story of Captain John Smith and his relationship with the princess, as she's referred to in the film, but is credited in the credits as, um, as <laughs> Pocahontas. Wow. Jesus Christ. God, that's, Christ. that's pretty bad. <laughs> wow. Well, it was funny because in my head, Sacagawea popped uh, in my head. I'm like, wrong. I know that's not that's right. Correct. <laughs> that is not correct. I don't, and I'm looking, the thing about it is I'm looking at the screen right now on Wikipedia in 1607, Pocahontas. <laughs> Anyway, Chief Powhatan sends Pocahontas to go with Captain John Smith to uh, see what these imperialistic bastards are up to and do they plan to leave or are they just here for a while or what? what's the big plan there, right? Mm-hmm. And a relationship develops between the two of them. But things change. Things happen. John Smith gets sent away to do some other stuff. And then all of a sudden Batman shows up <laughs> and uh, he marries Pocahontas. And things change in their lives. And I should be I should clarify. Uh Christian Bale. Christian Bale, yeah. Batman. Right. Not not, not Ben Affleck, not Michael Not Adam Keaton. West. No, not Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. None of them. So, Matt, this is Malik's slightly fictionalized take on the story of not just Captain John Smith, not just Pocahontas, mm-hmm. but also the birth of this country. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I'm just gonna say the man's an artist. Mm-hmm. He's a painter, and his medium is film. Mm-hmm. And I found the New World to be another captivating picture uh, from this man. Or as Al would say, what a picture. What a picture. Good, good picture. So <laughs> what are your thoughts on the new, new drop for you? I hope you liked it. What are your thoughts on the New World? Another triumph for Terry Malick? Or um, are we starting to shift into the shoegaze kind of period of his career, which I think it may be coming up soon. Hopefully not. Yeah. We'll yeah. So I, I do think it's very, very good. I don't think it reaches the heights of the thin red line. I don't, I think that's. Let me, let me interrupt you too. I apologize. I dropped the ball on this. Mm-hmm. Um, for the show, we watched Malik's extended cut of the film, right. not the theatrical, not the first cut. Right. But the Big Daddy, the, three hour the uh, almost three-hour runtime one. Yes, yes, just want to put that out yeah. there. Please continue. Yeah. Um, it doesn't come to the heights of the Thin Red Line. Um, I mean, this is like you said, a you know semi-fictional story of John Smith and the Jamestown Colony and Pocahontas and her eventual marriage. I'm assuming to John Rolfe, um, who yeah. is Christian Bale, and there are lo- like just like the Thin Red Line. There are just it is. There's just gorgeous shots. Uh, there is these long stretches of these contemplative uh, inner monologues that are just, you know, um, kind of enrapturing while you watch them. His time, John Smith's time mm-hmm. with the uh, with the tribe with Poca. I don't know what tribe it is, but the the tribe of Indians that they're with, and all of it together is just 
fascinating, but I guess really where I struggle with this film just the tad is what is what is Malik's ultimate goal here, right? So like what is he trying to tell us? And again, this seems like something where the thin red line is based off of a book by, you know, uh James Jones and you know, so Malik could build his script and his story off the bones of that novel. Whereas this, I don't mm-hmm. know what the if he came out of this with whole cloth, um, or if he's just kind of taking the the pieces of of the story that we know that are historical fact and kind of putting them in there. I don't know. Like that's the only thing that I don't connect with it as as much as I just don't know what Malik is necessarily trying to say. Then other than look at this new land that at, that it was, you know, at the beginning of its the spoiling or something, you know, I guess if that's what he's trying to say, I'm not sure. Um, or is it that both, you know, that humanity is always going to be evil to each other. Both sides are violent and killers and everything else. So I, I don't know. I really don't know what he's trying to say here, but it's certainly a beautiful journey while we're watching it. Yeah. I, part of me feels like the answer to all of that is just, yes. <laughs> I think that he's presenting us the story of the birth of America and all of its grandeur and all of its violence. Mm. And still, that it's a beautiful, breathtaking country as well. And it's, I, I, yeah, I was absolutely just entranced by this film. I do agree with you. I don't think it's quite as good as The Thin Red Line. Mm. I think it, we begin to, I think, get a little more into Malik's style of just i don't know how do i put this there's just air of his films that they're just just captivating vistas and beautiful stuff but he becomes less and less concerned with a fully defined narrative Mm -hmm. and i think this is the beginning of that uh there's a little bit of that in the thin red lion but i think it's kind of it's surrounded or blocked because of you have all these different characters who have all these little mini arcs so that's what kind of assumes and takes up a lot of the uh space and time in that film this one doesn't really have that this uh focuses more basically on just three people for the most part so there's a lot more air there's a lot for room for this film to breathe which then goes into malik's penchant i guess for those wide open vistas and one of the things i absolutely loved in this film he doesn't do that often there's a narration throughout this and that's one of his key things too right Mm -hmm. throughout his films is narration but i love how we intercuts that with scenes with dialogue so we get the interactions with the characters but then we get the characters actual inner thoughts Mm -hmm. at the same time uh and i just i don't know it's just an interesting choice that i absolutely loved I, i don't know if this is blasphemous matt but i feel like Malik, at this point, as I'm watching this film, I'm thinking it's just like a natural extension of Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. It's like he's kind of picked up that torch is when I'm watching this film. And where each shot on the water or in the forest or the fields of the grain or the tall grass, and each shot so smoothly intercuts to kind of oddly maintain i think the narrative of the film because he's telling a story not just about john smith and pocahontas but of the country as well and like you said how the inherent violence that we are so easily uh, bring on to each other uh just 
it's beautiful, stunning work. I mean, it's three hour runtime, Matt, and I felt no excess really mm-hmm. at all watching this. It's it's like you say, you just you you you're in the boat. You're going down the river of this film and just taking it all in, and it's just, as I said, it's just a captivating experience, and I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. I mean, um, you know, the it's basically like you said, it has three characters in it. You've got uh, uh, Christian Bale, you've got uh, Colin uh, Farrell, again using a different accent than his natural Irish one. I don't know, has he ever been Irish in any of his in any of his films? I think so i'm trying to is in bruges i can't remember that's the one that was on the tip of my tongue is that maybe he was using his natural accent for that one i'm trying to think i don't think he did in everybody knows my affection for fright night mm-hmm. i think i can't remember if he used an no, accent he used an american accent in that one he did yeah. okay i gotta rewatch that i love that film mm-hmm. sorry go ahead yeah um and then of course you know a 14 year old uh i I'm going to butcher her name. Um, you want to try and give me a, a hint on how you think that's pronounced? I would go with Kurinka Kilcher. Okay. But I don't know if that's accurate. Right. Was she 14 in Yeah, that? she was 14 when this was filmed. Holy cow. The same, the same age as the real Pocahontas. Yeah, I was watching. <laughs> so she's... Oh, yeah. So, yeah, because 2005 and she was... Yeah, so she would have been... Wow, I did not know that. So... I was reading that like a lot of historians kind of say, well, that's not really what happened because Pocahontas actually would have been probably like 12 mm-hmm. or 13 mm-hmm. at the time. And I'm like, how up are you on English imperialism <laughs> or imperialism in general and in men's attitude towards women and young girls yeah. at that time? Yeah. You really think that Smith may not have taken advantage of that situation? <laughs> well, and I guess, you know what, to be fair, you know, to be fair, I mean, if she was 14... That was middle-aged. I mean, the life expectancy, like, at the top end was, like, for a girl at 14 was, like, 40. Um, so, I... This, this is an interesting little side note, too, Matt. I wonder, From what I've read and understood, that that whole thing, life expectancy, is BS. Really? That people actually did live very long. It said so many people died in childbirth, mm-hmm. or so many did children died because of pestilence mm-hmm. or illness or whatever the case may be, that it skewed... The numbers, mm-hmm. so that it wasn't like our natural life expectancy happened to be that much shorter then. Mm-hmm. It's just that so many people died young yeah. that it kind of threw off the curve. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, or? no, I think that's completely right. I don't think it's our necessarily that people that they would be, you know, if everything was perfect or like they had our, they would still live to the same, you know, probably into their sixties, late sixties, seventies, something like that. It's just that their lives were so much more dangerous between their exposure yeah. to disease, the complications of childbirth, the right. possibility of, of accidents, you know, having to hunt or gather, you know, getting gored by a boar or something like all of that stuff was much more dangerous. So you were much more likely I mean, shit, if you fell off your horse and, like, broke your leg, I mean, you could be lame or, or die. You know, they may just leave you behind. Who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, right. it's it, it, you're right. It is skewed that way, but it's just because the lifestyle was just so dangerous. Yeah, I always thought when I was growing up that it was more like, yeah, people lived to, like, 60 yeah. back then yeah. at the, if you were really lucky, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. But, as, no, it's not, it's not that everybody's life expectancy was that. It was just that. 
All right, anyway, so you're saying Pocahontas 15, she's hot, go. <laughs> I don't think I was saying that. I was just saying that oh, for okay. a 14-year-old actress, I thought, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. I would, I thought she acted in a way that was, you know, beyond what I would have expected from essentially what's a child actress. And I did not put that yeah. together at all. So I think she did a, a fine job in, in portraying this and kind of being a focal point, especially towards the end of the film, um, as we kind of focus on England and everything else. Yeah, I felt she was, like I said, I might experience watching the film was i thought she was older mm-hmm. yeah me too. I she has a presence mm-hmm. of someone like in her i think early 20s yeah. is what i thought yeah. when i was watching yeah it. i agree with you so that's just a testament to her, to her ability mm-hmm. yeah this is one of those films that it's like uh, it's worth revisiting it's probably one that i'm going to sit with for a long time i could see myself picking it up you know along with something like the tree of life um which we're not going to do for this this marathon because we have done it for the show many years ago but you know, I think it's it's an interesting entry in Malick's filmography. You know, I think it's it's worth your time to watch this, even though it does have some minor flaws. Yeah, I want to say too, um, James Horner did the score for this film, and I, the from what I've what we heard in it, I think it's some of his best work. Though, from what I understand, a lot of it was cut because, as normal. Malik was editing this basically up to the last minute. It was delayed mm-hmm. for, what, like a year or something because of his editing? Okay. So um, he ended up pulling in some classical pieces instead. But I want to track down Horner's contributions to the score because I thought they were really just magnificent and really helped just add to the grandiosity, if that's a mm-hmm. word I think it is, of, of the film. So, yeah, man, I have the um, Criterion um, set for this, which includes all three cuts of the film. And it looks fantastic. So I would say, folks, next uh, Blu-ray sale, or next Criterion sale, I should say, at Barnes & Noble, uh, you should pick it up. Though I will say, it is a 4K scan. Okay. So they could put it out in UHD at some point. So you may want to sit tight. Sure. You never know. Right. So, there you go. Any uh, parting words? You ready for your grade? Yeah, I think I'm going to give it, uh, since I gave Thin Red Line an A, I think I'm going to give this an A-. minus. Not quite as good, but still a, a an astounding film. Yeah, I think, well, I gave the Thin Red Line, I think, the only A-plus I've given out this mm-hmm. year. Um, in fact, maybe for a while. It has been a while. And uh, again, this is not quite as good, So again, I, but I'm giving the new world an A. Mm-hmm. So I'm right with you. Just um, one letter or one step. Yeah, one part of it there down. If you had a chance to see the new world, which you can rent basically most of your uh, internet dealers. I don't believe it's streaming anywhere. I didn't bother looking because um, I owned it, right? So Matt says no. So you're going to have to rent it, folks. Uh, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Yeah, I've owned this, I think, for two years. Well, I'm glad you finally got the chance to watch it. So Good times. All right, folks. Let's wrap the show up and let's spend a few minutes talking about our five favorite Brad Pitt performances. Matt, this one just, you know, just didn't quite make the cut. Stop it. Stop. What? You have any idea what you just did? Come on, we just made the deal of our lifetimes. We should celebrate. You just bet against the American economy. Fuck yeah, we did. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Which means, oh. which means if we're right, if we're right, people lose homes. People lose jobs. People lose retirement savings. People lose pensions. You know what I hate about fucking banking? It reduces people to numbers. Here's a number. Every 1% unemployment goes up. 40,000 people die. Did you know that? No. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. We were just excited. 
don't fucking dance. All right. Where are you going? Whoa, I just got really scared. As well, you should have. So uh, that is Brad Pitt as Ben Rickert and Adam McKay's The Big Short. Mm. Um, a fine performance. I think not one of his best, but still very good. Yeah. So uh, honorable mention for me, Matt. I'll go first. I'll give you the uh, ultimate number one because I am a gentleman. <laughs> uh, my number five, I think I'm going to go with... I, man, my number five, I've been going back and forth. Do I want to go? I, I don't want to spoil my list. But I... Uh, boy, I don't... All right. I think I'm just going to... I'm just going to go with it. I think that this is the role that I think Brad Pitt has finally kind of eased in to the final part of his career. Mm-hmm. I think that he um, is near the end, I think, at this point. And he uh, found a role that I think suited him perfectly. And that, of course, is Cliff Booth in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It just it just seems, I don't know, he's just so perfectly cast in that film. And he pre- performs as Booth so well. It just shows me kind of like I feel at the end of his arc. Not I mean, She's going to keep going, I'm sure, for a while. But it's just like this is the next stage in his career, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I think that his Cliff Booth is one of the most interesting things about that film. I admit probably my favorite character in an entire film is Booth. I think that Leo is fine in it. But I think the movie really shines um, whenever he's on screen. So he's my number five. Yeah, I um, I wholeheartedly agree with you because he's my number five as well. Um, I think, uh, you know, Pitt just perfectly encapsulate that kind of uh, seen it all, has been around forever in Hollywood. You know, he's seen some crazy ass man and, you know, he's, it's just got some, I think that the whole performance is encapsulated, I think when he kind of does the flashback to his fight with Bruce Lee. And then as he's kind of, mm-hmm. and then as it ends, he just kind of like looks at himself down and he goes, yep. He's like, yep. Just kind of acknowledging, yep. I'm the drunken asshole. So I deserve whatever I got. I thought that was just kind of quintessentially capsulated, uh, kind of where Penny is in his, uh, his career. Yeah, exactly. Good times. All right. So my number four then is a film you just mentioned, and that's Brad Pitt as Mr. O'Brien in Terrence Malick's tree of life. I think it is one of the most engaging, interesting performances of his entire career. He plays Mr. O'Brien, the father of this family. They find out that their 19-year-old son has died, and it throws the entire family into disarray. And he is this kind of cold, distant, stern father. And I think it's one of his best performances. It's riveting watching him on the screen. And I feel like he's just channeling something... I don't know, even almost unearthly in that performance. And it's maybe it's because I have dad issues myself at some point growing up. I don't know. But um, there is something about his performance as Mr. O'Brien that has always stuck with me. And I wanted to make sure it was on my list. Very close. It didn't make my list. It's an honorable mention for me, but it was very close to making the cut. But my number four is probably his his, uh, first turn where people said maybe this guy can act. Um, And that is... Uh, Jeffrey Goins in Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys, um, where he mm-hmm. plays a an unhinged um, eco-terrorist with uh, wild eyes and all kinds of crazy mannerisms. It's all very over the top, but, but you got to understand when this came out, Brad Pitt is basically a pretty boy. He was eye candy. He wasn't really considered particularly a serious or a con- actor of any kind of real ability. And his ability to kind of just 
completely consume, like submerge everything that you would expect to see from him and just kind of put out this insane role. That's really a steals the, the screen when he's on there is, is kind of a portent of things to come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was what I kept going back and forth on my number five was uh, the 12 monkeys role. I really kept, uh, I, I just, yeah, no, I, that's great. It's a good pick, man. So my number three then is probably one of the performances of his I enjoy the most, like I enjoy everybody else in this film, and that's him as Rusty in Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven, mm. where he's basically eating the entire time, which is one of my favorite little motifs in that entire film with him. But just staying with Clooney's Danny Ocean, his Rusty is just effortlessly cool, and you know you just want to hang out with him. You feel like, oh, I'd hang out with those guys. They'd want to, We'd be friends, but no, you, you wouldn't be. <laughs> but um, still... That opening scene, you know, when they're all playing poker uh, is great. And he is really the perfect foil for Clooney in that film. The two of them play off each other so well. And it is, for me, it's not, maybe it's not best, it's favorite performances. Mm -hmm. And he's one of, I think, the shining moments in Ocean's Eleven. There you go. Another honorable mention from me, Rusty did not make the list. But you know who did Mm -hmm. make the list was, uh, speaking of uh, 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 Guy Ritchie, is his turn as Mickey O'Neill, the bare knuckles yes. pikey boxer from Snatch. Uh, I think this was like really one of the again, whereas his turn in Twelve Monkeys may have shown like how willing he was, far he was willing to go for a role. This one kind of showed, I think, his first kind of comedic chops, right? And he can be a pretty funny dude, and um, you know his kind of nonsensical can barely understand him accent that is just insane um being thrown up against as the one american actor and this kind of cockney actor british row of of actors is is funny and he holds his own and i think he's a lot of fun as uh as the uh bare knuckle uh gypsy fighter uh mickey yeah that is a great one as a normal mention for me so uh my where are we number two for me uh that is his role as jackie is it Coogan Coggin? I'm blanking now. In one of the, I think one of the best films of the past 20 years, mm-hmm. and that's Killing Them Softly. Mm-hmm. He uh, plays the hitman. It's a film based in the midst of the uh, 2008 election during the financial crisis, and it is a. Would you consider it a, like a, a neo noir film? Yeah, I think so. Uh, basically it's, it's this noir film in in the backdrop of the financial crisis and he plays a hitman and there is this guy, uh, the recently departed Ray Liotta who had, uh, knocked over a, uh, a card game for the mob. And so these new guys said, Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to knock it over. And people are going to think that Liotta's character did it again and I'll get away with it. Except they don't. Mm. And it features a stable of fantastic actors uh, one of Gandolfini's last roles, Scoot McNary's in this, Ben Mendelsohn. Um, uh, um, yeah, so just a great film. I know Matt's heard me praise it often, but uh, I absolutely love Killing Them Softly. That last line when um, he's talking about, see, now I'm blanking on the guy's name again. Jesus, Richard Jenkins is saying they got to renegotiate how much he gets for killing the two guys. Mm-hmm. And and he's and he's talking about America. You hear that? Because Obama's making a speech after winning the election. He's don't make me laugh. He says America is a business. Now fucking pain. <laughs> and then the movie ends, and it's it's great. I absolutely love 
killing them softly. That's my two. I struggled to put that on, but I knew it would be on your list, so I was like, okay, yeah. we'll just it, it can it can drop off in favor of other things. But that is a great role. <laughs> All right, so this next one's going to be a controversial pick. You got to understand, early two thousands. Um, this film oh. came out, and for a certain group of people of a certain age, I think it really resonated with what the what they were saying. Unfortunately, a lot of people picked up the wrong message, but I don't think that's Brad Pitt's fault. And of course, I'm talking about uh, his turn as Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Mm-hmm. Um, the critique on toxic masculinity and what it means to be a man of the based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Like I said, a lot of people took his, his uh, lessons to heart, not really thinking about how he's the villain and how he is insane. And uh, none of this stuff is something you should aspire to. And you can still see the uh, kind of echoes of that as it gone, as it, as it still kind of rings through today. If just go on Reddit for a little while and you'll, you'll see it. Um, and it's, it's, it, but it, uh, honestly, his performance in this is just, um, he's just like, a, just oozes charisma. Um, he's just seems so cool. Like, and you just, because of that, it just makes this kind of t- awful message that he is putting out there, you know, it's, it, in the moment, it, you know what, it almost seems reasonable. And I think that's part of the, yeah. the, the brilliance of the, of the performance. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Honorable mention for me. Didn't make my cut. Right. Um, it was there for a while, and honestly, maybe it should be. But um, I ended up going number one for me. One, uh, I think one of his deepest performances, one of his most interesting performances. And, of course, I love me a baseball movie. It's uh, <laughs> Billy Bean in uh, Moneyball. I think it is a very engaging film. It's one. It's like it's like a Shawshank thing, you know. Whenever it's on, if it's on, I'm gonna start watching it, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna finish it up. It is an exceptionally well done movie, and I think that he inhabits Billy Bean incredibly well, and it's a great story. So um, I ended up choosing that as my number one. It's a good pick. I'm actually surprised that this didn't make your list, but my number one is his turn as Aldo Rains in Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. Um, He's just having a grand old time with this thing. Um, he's chewing up the scenery every time he's in there. And his just uh, just his little turn while they're trying to infiltrate the opera. And Christoph Waltz is all over them. And he's just not having yeah. any of it. It's just one of my favorite scenes of, of many scenes that I love in that movie. Uh, Gorlami. That is, that is just so funny. Gorlami. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's uh... so good. Like, it's, it's just... He knows what the ridiculousness is. He leans into it. He just completely sells it, and it is just so much fun. Uh, so I had to go with Aldo Reigns. Yeah, it's just for me. Whenever I think of *Glorious Bastards*, I think of Christoph Waltz. Mm. I mean, like that's his movie to me sure. for some reason. You know, I do love Pitt in that. It's just that it's not the first thing that pops in my head when I think about that film. So, any honorable mentions then that we haven't mentioned? Uh, that we haven't mentioned. Um... Uh, Chad Feldheimer from Burn After Reading, where he plays a himbo. Um, yes. That is pretty funny turn. That is a good one. Uh, Jesse James, uh, when he was in the assassination yep. of Jesse James. And then I'm going to put in his brief 10-second cameo in Deadpool Tool as the Vanisher when he meets his untimely demise. <laughs> yes. Matt, you named every other honorable mention I had, and I would throw in there Floyd in True Romance. Mm-hmm. He plays Michael Rappaport's uh, roommate in that film um but uh yeah i think that's uh about it good times thanks brad always 
bring in the good. You know what? You did. He had a lot more, you know, quality roles than I than I would have given him credit for if he did, hadn't had me sit down and think about it. Yep. You didn't mention David Mills from Seven. Uh, yeah, that was on my list too. Yeah, he it is in my honorable mentions. But here's the thing: I'm I really like Seven a lot. I just I'm not sure how good Brad Pitt is in Seven. I think I feel like he's kind of bad at it. <laughs> oh, maybe I haven't watched that in a very long. I haven't watched it in so long. I only own it on DVD. Wow. So uh, it's been. I've, I'm kind of waiting for a 4K yeah. release of I that. Know, is what it is. It's a good movie. It's got good terms, but like there's a reason that what's in the box is, is mocked, you know, because it's in the box. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What's your favorite Brad Pitt performance? Shoot us an email at feedback at the first run.com. We would love to know Matt. What are we talking about next week? Um, what did we decide? Uh, we do an orphan or we do in day, day shift. I, I'm not sure. I got a plane right ahead of me, so maybe I'll watch both. But I definitely want to discuss Orphan. I adore mm. the first Orphan film. Mm. You've seen the first one, yeah, right? I've seen the first one, yes. Okay. So I am really looking forward to this sequel. Okay. So I can, I guess we can at least lock that in. Okay. And then what does our Malik Marathon continue with next uh, week? Is it Night of Cups? Is that what it's called? King? Yes. Okay. Night of the Cups. It's the, uh, wow. Second to last film. We're almost done. I know, man. These marathons, when they're good, they go fast. Yes, they do. In the meantime, uh, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, 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 and eventually you will find us. Head over to Apple Podcasts. Give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And, uh, oh, yeah, thefirstrun.com. All the old shows are up there archived. The report card is up there as well and more. So go ahead and check that out, too. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, Matt, did you watch? Oh, no, you haven't been watching. Better Call Saul finale is done. I have not seen it. Don't tell me. Wonderful. Was it? Absolutely. I think pitch perfect ending. I wouldn't expect it anything um, last. Yeah. Fantastic show. So, good times. All right. That's my enough of my asides tonight. We're going to go ahead and take an extended break. Everybody, take care of yourselves. We love you very much, and we'll see you soon. devil and i'm here to do the devil's business no i was dumber than that something like rex cut you don't text text